Hello and welcome to another episode of The Code of Career with me, Cameron Blackwood. Today's guest is Carly Williams. Carly works in the talent acquisition department at Kodak, which is a high growth startup in the financial technology industry or fintech for short. As you would expect, a major component of Carly's job is the recruitment and resourcing of engineers. As a result of that, she has a ton of advice for people that are trying to get their first or second job in tech or even further on from that. Fintech is one of the highest growth areas at the moment, so if you're interested on that side of things, this is definitely an episode for you. As I've mentioned recently, I'm currently foregoing a sponsor. I thought it would be more appropriate to promote my Patreon, which if you can afford it and you enjoy the show, you can subscribe to. You can also chat to me anytime on Discord for free. I'll drop the links to both the Patreon and the Discord, as well as all our other social links in the description. But for now, it's time to grab a coffee, push those commits and enjoy the show. Hi, Carly. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? Yeah, really well. Thank you. Thanks for um, yeah asking me on. No worries at all. No worries. I think this will be a really great episode where people can hear more about how uh, they can break into the fintech industry in particular. So a really, uh, really cool theme uh, for today's show. So for people that haven't come across you before, do you want to give a bit of a rundown about who you are and what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm Carly. I'm based in Hertfordshire and in London. Um, I've been in recruitment for just under three years and I've always worked internally, but in a couple of different industries, largely focused on tech on the whole, Um, starting off in SAP, then doing some stuff for the semiconductor industry for about two years. And now in fintech, I've also had some quite random roles, like a voluntary recruiter for AGK for a little while, helping to support their voluntary program. Uh, and I suppose just a little bit more about me. Um, I'm a Virgo. My background's in social psychology, complete true crime nut. Um, but I would say overall, I'm what I'm really passionate about is just making people feel super empowered and properly informed when they're changing roles and basically challenging the expectation that interviewing has to be something that's a super scary process. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree with you on that. Like uh, people really build up job interviews uh, a lot and naturally you can distill them down to a few a few parts and uh, they're never not going to make you nervous, I think. But um, yeah, people uh, people sometimes even avoid looking for a new job because they're so scared in an interview. So that sounds really awesome uh, that you're uh, uh, that you're passionate about helping people um, with that. So uh, something we like to do on um, Code of Career, as you know, is some quick fire questions um, for the audience to get to know you a bit better. Uh, and whilst normally first computer is the uh, is normally the first question, you, you actually couldn't remember what that was. So um, we'll jump straight into the first uh, your favorite uh, tech city, if that sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, on the first computer, it, it's funny because I, I actually really wasn't a particularly tech focused or tech obsessed person as a kid. So I, I genuinely think it was probably the first laptop was um, or first computer was something that I bought when I started university. So it's, it's kind of funny that I've ended up recruiting and ultimately having such a passion for that area, given that I can't remember that. But um, tech city wise, I think I'm super biased because I've always lived in greater London and because I've found myself working in fintech. Um, so I, I am going to say London. Um, but I was reading a really interesting review lately, actually, which was basically focused on where entrepreneurial fintech minds are. Um, and unsurprisingly, within the UK, London's a super hub for that kind of thing. Um, and I've always kind of yo-yoed between working in London and it's something I always end up coming back to. I just think the amount of meetup opportunities there are and huge networks of not just really talented engineers, but also really talented recruiters that go alongside that to tap into and hopefully post COVID that's something I'm I'm actually really looking forward to getting stuck into a lot more and hopefully trying to attend Um, and also special mention to Edinburgh as well Um, it's on my list and um, I think there's also more and more as I'm going about my searches for talent there's super strong roots in obviously financial services there and I'm noticing a real cluster of talent for engineering there which I think is really cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I always sing the praises on this podcast. The audience is probably sick of me trying to convince people that Scotland is uh, is a great place to be an engineer. But yeah, I 100% echo your sentiment on London. Like, uh, obviously, um, I, I worked there for a long time. And um, it's, uh, it's an, I mean, the innovation tech going on in London is, is really cool anyway. But fintech in particular, like after 2008, the, uh, the boom uh, in fintech um, has been unbelievable. And some such innovative 
companies that come out of there and not even just talking about like stuff like blockchain more, more you know just stuff that was very innovative at the time like peer-to-peer -peer lending and uh, that sort of thing all, all coming out of london so um yeah i i, I agree with you it's, it's a really uh, it's a really cool place uh to work and I, i'm not surprised uh it, it's your favorite tech city because it definitely ranks high uh for me as well um and w when you are recruiting uh and uh, i remember you saying actually slightly less than three years so mo most of which will have been virtual um when when you are recruiting what kind of music do you like to listen to when you're working Oh, I feel like it varies so much and I'm really not a music snob at all. I have such varied taste. Um, I would say I flick between podcasts and music. And I don't know, Cam, you could probably relate to this, but the, the type of music I listen to when I'm sourcing is so different to what I'll listen to day to day, like if I'm in the car getting ready to go out because um, I need something way more mellow. So for me, um, the kind of vibes I go for is um, London Grandma, Lana Del Rey, that kind of thing. Um, and then podcast wise, I really like The Daily Pep. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, I haven't actually, no. What, what is it? Yeah, The Daily Pep is really cool. So it's little um, short episodes of around 10 minutes and I like to start my day with them. Um, it's basically just about positivity. They cover things like imposter syndrome, which I think is really important. Um, and it's backed by psychology. So it's kind of a natural interest for me because that was my area of study. Um, Happy Place by Fern Cotton, I love as well. Um, and Dark History as well with Bailey Saren for um, for true crime, obviously, because I'm completely obsessed. <laughs> yeah, there's some great true crime podcasts out there. I like the one, um, They Walk Among Us, if you've listened to that one before, but the, the guy's voice is too relaxing almost. It can sound like a little bit. <laughs> I know I have listened to that one I yeah no that's one of my favorites yeah um and it, yeah I mean the, the podcast ecosystem uh is obviously growing uh, massively I try I've tried to listen to them on a code before but it's quite difficult uh but if I'm doing any admin uh or like just answering emails or working on um code of career then yeah I, I love it or, or for a long drive because obviously I'm always forever in the car down to England so <laughs> it's good to get a um get, good to get a good podcast going for sort of about seven hours uh for, um or you know uh if it's a day like today where it's snowing all the time then uh more like more like 12 hours um, for sure. yeah <laughs> what about when you like to work would you say you're an early bird or a night owl i am 100 percent a night owl i think i've been in denial for 24 years about <laughs> the I've, I've heard so many people say this actually and the effect that covid has had and working from home has meant that they'd be able to work a lot more on their own terms and have a lot more of a flexible schedule but i've you know always tried to make myself an early bird and had the perception that people are more productive if they get up early um i'm definitely a night owl 8 p.m to 11 p.m is my zone of complete concentration and i think it's so great that we're moving to a place where so many more companies are happy for you to work when you want um, and just measure by output rather than whether you're doing nine to five. Yeah, de definitely. And I think as well, it provides, I mean, from a recruitment point of uh, point of view as well, it really opens your options up a bit more because if, uh, you know, if, you, if you're in a company that allows for people to be quite flexible, then they can, uh, that's a real selling point over a company that's maybe offered them 10% more money, but it's making them say, right, nine to five firm. Um, it's a real differentiator for sure. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think as well, it's not just about when I talk about flexibility with candidates, for me, it's, it's not just about um, where you can work. I think often, we end up talking about things like hybrid or, or fully remote or, or whatever. Um, but it, it is also that piece about when as well. Um, and I'm really keen to always stress to people how important it is to remember that you have your own life as well. Um, and I really, really think that you should be able to continue to do the things that you really enjoy, that um, you're really passionate about and that, yeah, and that, that bring you joy day to day um, and also be able to fit your work schedule ultimately around that and, and still be hitting all the targets that you need to day to day as well. Yeah, uh, de definitely. And uh, I've even heard of some companies going right off uh, the, the other end and um, actually like banning meetings and making them more, uh, like asynchronous meetings where everyone just drops a voice note uh, into a conversation and that kind of thing. And you can literally just work whatever hours you want. Um, for me, that's a little bit of a wild prospect. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if I could manage that. But um, yeah, it's definitely great to have um, to have flexible hours uh, for sure, especially if you're remote working as well, because it means you'll definitely be able to fit in stuff like hobbies, um, because that, that that's important because 
I think it's easy to uh, it's easy to accidentally isolate yourself a bit when you're remote working. I think that's something I've realised fairly recently. Yeah, I think all of us have, you know, and, and being forced to remote work and then getting to a place where actually there's some opportunity if you're someone like myself that likes to go in two or three days a week, it, it really has been about finding that balance and getting into a rhythm of, of what works for you. And I'd really encourage people to bear that in mind um, and really push new prospective employers hard to to define what that looks like for them and what they would be happy with and to make sure it aligns with what you have found works really really well for you because I, I really think it can make or break a role the actual style that you like to work in yeah I, I, I agree with that and uh, just and I, I think as well particularly for obviously developers that are listening um, just because a lot of people preach 100% remote work is the best it might not be the best for you like mm-hmm. like, like, like you're saying like try it out a little bit like you know, you might enjoy uh, going in twice a week, um, you know, or, or even uh, if you work a bit further away, like I, I work for a London based company and uh, live up here in Scotland. Uh, I, you know, I can just fly in and, uh, and, and work for sort of a week down there and get my in-person fix um, for, for sure. Because uh, sometimes it is nice to actually meet your colleagues because my last job, I actually never met any of my colleagues because I started it during COVID and left it during COVID. Yeah, and and what a weird prospect! Like yeah. to think that in in my previous job I was there for two years, and to walk out of the office, in all honesty, expecting to work from home for maybe two weeks, um, mm. and then to leave that job without having seen those people again, whilst whilst we all still work there, is is a really strange thing. And I I would say if you're the type of person that feels that they would like to spend some time in the office why not ask to drop in for a visit you know it doesn't have to be for your interview if you live locally I I always say to my candidates you know I'm in the office on this day come in and have a coffee um and I think that kind of thing is is really nice to actually think would I be able to see myself here and is this a space that I want to utilize um and start piecing that together to help you make your decision really yeah, absolutely. Um, couldn't agree more. And I think generally as well, the more information a candidate has um, when they go in um, for, for, a, for a final, it, it's it's a really good way of doing it. And it's great that you offer that because um, people can uh, get to understand it. And it's something I've always encouraged people to do is if you can get like a trial morning or a trial afternoon in, uh, it works nicely for, for both sides. So you can see if it's the kind of place where um, you want to work. Yeah, definitely. Cool. And uh, for the final quick fire question, um, before the recruitment days, what job did you want to do when you were a kid? Uh, so I was one of the brave souls that really wanted to be a teacher. I never specified oh, wow. primary school or secondary school. I think in retrospect, definitely primary. <laughs> um, but I've, I think I've just always been geared towards roles that are about um, building rapport, building relationships with people. Um just making people feel really at ease and empowered and, and being a, a I suppose a, like a constant source of support for people to help them discover their potential and I suppose in a way I really think that um, teachers right from primary school actually help you to shape your career anyway in a nice way so I do sometimes wonder if that's why I ended up segueing into into recruitment um mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I, I don't know, I think it's a bit of a, um, it's a bit of a funny one. And, and so many people will say as well, oh, I just, I fell into recruitment and I definitely do fall into that category. Um, that I don't think I, I fell into it as well, fully. Like I, I, I thought it was, a, um, I thought I understand a bit of technology because uh, all my flatmates were computer science students at uni. Uh, and then I was just like, oh, I'll, I'll do this external technical recruitment stuff. Should be a way in. I mean, how, how did it? How did it start for you? Was it just you were looking for grad roles and then you just stumbled into it? Or yeah, so I my background was actually in psychology, and I, I really thought throughout my degree I wanted to do organisational psychology. I was really interested in things like change management and stuff like that as well. And then my first role was as a HR intern, but in a agency, which I think in itself is quite <laughs> a unique role. Um, And when I got there, they basically needed someone to help out with assessment days. And that's, that's what I mean when I say I fell into it. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I almost to be completely honest with you, when I found out that was something I'd be owning, I thought, oh, that's, you know, it's not really what I've maybe come in to do. But type of person that I am, I absolutely grab it with both hands and give it a go. Um, I just found it really easy to connect with people, really enjoyed matching them to the right roles, found it really rewarding. Um, And so then when I graduated, I 
knew that I wanted to be internal and the route that I chose was to come in as a coordinator. Um, so for anyone that's not familiar or not in the recruitment industry, that would be someone who basically looks after the candidate journey, make sure you have the best possible interview process that you can, maybe helps with things like um, your contracts and stuff like that. Um, and I did that at a big semiconductor company and then ended up moving into more of a talent specialist role where I was focused on hardware and software hiring. Um, and then I, I really wanted to experience hyper growth. I really wanted specifically a, a startup or a scale up environment. Um, and I wanted to focus in on on software and with a really, really modern tech stack. Um, and then, yeah, that's how I've ended up at Kodak about eight months ago, really. Very exciting. And um, in terms of uh, what Kodak is, uh, do you want to give like a bit of a rundown about uh, what the company stands for, what the products are and uh, what engineers uh, typically work on? Yeah, for sure. Um, so Kodak is the universal API for small business data. And what that means is that we provide the connectivity that software providers and financial institutions need to build integrated products that their small business customers can use. Um, so that might be a point of sale platform. It might be supporting digital lenders to create a super, super slick application journey. It might be automating reconciliation for small business customers. Um, I, I'll give you an example. I think these things are always, always yeah. best served with an example. And actually, I have some links, Cam, that I can send to you that maybe you can include in, in the description. Um, so have you ever heard of actually Zettel or have you ever used Zettel before? I have, yes. Okay, cool. So Kodak works with Zettel as a software provider. Um, for any listeners who, who maybe aren't aware, um, so Zettel is owned by PayPal and it's a point of sale system that basically allows small businesses to take in-person payments from customers. So what that means, and because Kodak has this partnership with Zettel, it means that via our universal API, we can pull data from things like up-to-date sales, customer and product information from that small business. And we'll pull that in real time, we'll standardize it, and we'll surface it in an app. And what that then means is that our financial institution clients are able to view that data in an app and they can extract key metrics like gross sales revenue, churn rates in a really useful and actionable format. And let's say there's someone like a lender who's thinking about offering that small business a loan. Well, that's really useful for them, right? In terms of having a clear and real-time understanding of what their customer's financial position is at any one time and thinking about making a, a really smart decision in terms of ROI ultimately. Um, so I think, you know, that's a, that's a quick insight into what it is that we do. Um, I would say to, to summarize really, um, what we're all about is around the idea of, um, so lenders are some of our biggest client groups, for example, and so much of that lending process is still done manually, which is crazy. Um, so spreadsheets, PDFs, etc. Um, and and where Kodak comes in is really putting people in a place where they're able to tap into the information coming from those data types, and and ultimately to make that process digital. Very nice, and it's a really cool uh, sort of marriage of the uh, fintech and, and and data industry uh it, it uh, from the science of it so really um a lot of interesting stuff for people to work on because those are two of the sort of biggest uh biggest buzzwords in the software engineering industry in general um and obviously we've actually talked quite a bit about fintech financial technology um as an industry and actually something i've realized is that it's not actually that common of an acronym that's used outside of tech um do you, do you want to explain a little bit about what fintech is and uh, how people, why, how and why people might be interested in breaking into it if, if they're a uh, if they're a software engineer. Yeah, definitely. Um, so fintech is literally a, a hybrid of the words financial technology. Um, simply put, my definition of what fintech means is that it's tech that improves how we use and deliver financial services. So I suppose another way to phrase that or to think about that is how can specialized software be used by people like business owners and consumers 
to better manage their financial processes and really something something that I've noticed and what I think is a key focus for a lot of fintech businesses and, and really how they're born is by thinking about traditional financial processes and then focusing on how can we provide a faster and more seamless service ultimately how can we make that service better and and easier to use and I think to go back to your question about what type of projects might you be likely to work on um I'd say for if you're looking to get into um, into startups, what's exciting is that a lot of the work is likely to be greenfield. Um, it's also, as you say, is likely to be quite data heavy, probably quite focused on feature development. So adding new features to fintech products to improve user experience, make that as seamless as possible. Um, for any front end engineers listening, probably quite focused on things like data visualization. So making that data as actionable and ultimately as, as useful to users as possible. Um, and for Kodak specifically, if, if um, people are interested, that would be building integrations across data types like accounting, banking or commerce. And front end wise and, and thinking about what I know some of our front end engineers are working on right now, that's things like our user interface and establishing permissions with users, linking with our platform. Um, I mean, there's so much stuff that I could cover here. I'm trying to obviously just keep that quite high level and, and hopefully pique anyone's interest of anyone that's maybe thinking about going into that industry. Yeah, um, that sounds really cool. And there's so much you could do. Because obviously on the back end, there's a ton of data to process and clean up and get cool insights from. And then on the front end, you can build some very, very cool dashboards, um, which as someone that does a lot of front end, uh, I'm a bit uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd for a cool dashboard. Uh, so that sounds, <laughs> that sounds really cool. And um, for people that are listening and thinking, okay, you know, this is something that I would want to get into, but maybe I don't know much about the sector already. Uh, you know, maybe they're just getting out of uni or something and they, they want to impress a fintech recruiter um, with their CV or LinkedIn profile. You obviously see quite a lot of those each day. What What's the best way for a junior candidate to uh, impress you with, with either the CV or LinkedIn profile or, or both? Yeah, it's a really great question and actually something that I have a lot of friends and family um, ask me quite a lot. I don't know if you have, the, I know it's kind of a bit of a joke in recruitment, but I don't know if you've had the same experience, Cam. Um, uh, quite often I'll be like at a family event or something and someone will say, oh, Carly's a recruiter, you know, speak to her. She'll take a look at your CV. Um, I tell you what I had, actually. I used to get, when I was a recruiter, I would get, uh, Cam can get you a job. And then nowadays, <laughs> it's, nowadays it's Cam can build you an app. Like <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, no, I've, I've definitely experienced a bit of that. Um, but I, I think I'd start really just by giving some general advice and then talking about engineers specifically. So my something that I really like and that's always stayed with me. So my first ever mentor, um, who she might listen if you are, shout out to Jackie. Um, she always said to me, your CV is the trailer, your interview is the movie and I want the highlights. And I really, I think it's so true. And in terms of more of an engineering focus, I have a CV I saw recently in mind when I'm answering this. And it's for someone that we ended up hiring into a kind of junior to mid-level software engineer position. And his profile just really stood out for me. It, it blew me away. And compared to some people that I speak with, he actually didn't have that much experience commercially. But I'll, I'll tell you what I think he did really well. So I would always say, start by telling me the type of roles and the industry that you're interested in. If you're able to get specific as well, because I think I'd always advise people with their job search to think about the type of companies that you want to apply for and then where you can really tailor this and, and show off your interest. So this particular person didn't just tell me he wanted financial software development. He said to me, integration software in particular. He now sits within our integrations product group. Um, so it was kind of a match made in heaven, really. Um, equally, you know, if you're not able to do that, I think I think that's fine as well. But just give me as much detail as you can. And, and I can direct you to the best possible roles that fit with what you're looking for. Um, and then, yeah, I'd say get into your projects and whether they're personal projects or commercial. I'd always suggest leading with the experience that's most relevant to the company that you're applying for. So, like I said, this person didn't have that much commercial experience. Um, he focused quite heavily on his personal projects, but 
what was crazy impressive to me and, and literally just blew me away um, was he'd research which companies Kodak have a partnership with and then he'd built a small personal project based on that. So he That's built, really cool. It's really cool, isn't it? So he yeah. built a web app to request banking transactions from a company we partner with. And I opened his CV. It was the first thing that I saw. And I was pretty much straight away like, I'm speaking to this guy, 100%. <laughs> um, and to be clear, this isn't something I expect to see every day. Uh, you know, I understand that the market's crazy right now. People are speaking to multiple different uh, recruiters, companies, looking at different roles. But this person really did go above and beyond. It made him stand out hugely. And when I spoke to him, he actually said, you know, Kodak, Kodak's my top choice. So I wanted to do something special, um, which I thought was amazing, really. If there's like one or two companies that someone is super interested in, then tailoring some kind of personal project to appeal directly to them is, is such a good way of doing it. Like, uh, um, for example, I, I I had that once with uh, with a company that I knew cared a lot about cybersecurity. I made a uh, I made a random passcode generator uh, that would be like super secure and just not use any dictionary words and and that sort of thing. And I think that that helped quite a bit because I hadn't I didn't really know much about security, but I figured mm-hmm. it'd be quite a useful tool. So. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's a great way to stand out from the crowd, especially people that may be applying for 50 jobs with the same CV, even if their CV is better, quote unquote, uh, than yours. If you can provide a really good and deep personal project, then it, it's a great way to stand out. Yeah, 100%. And I think what it tells me as a recruiter above anything is, well, two things, really. The first, you've researched the company and you understand what we do. I don't care if your understanding is not perfect. That's what I'm here for. And I've got a whole host of resources I can I can send you to really get you up to scratch there. Um, but also it tells me that you're really proactive, um, that you really care, probably quite um, indicative of the fact that you really want to develop a product mindset, which all of our hiring managers absolutely love as well. And I think if you can, in your first paragraph, get that across to me, I'm hooked. Like I am definitely speaking to you and I know my hiring managers will go mad for stuff like that. Um, And I I think as well, I always say to people in a job search, you don't have to apply to like 50, 60 roles. Um, I'm sympathetic to the fact that that, that's the way some people's journeys end up going. But I really, truly believe if you tailor things really, really well, you can actually interview with a couple of companies, um, really whittle them down to the, to the, to the people who are really doing what you're interested in have exactly the culture that you're doing um sorry exactly the culture that you're looking for um and by really personalizing your projects i think it can go a long way to to help you achieving that really and then showcasing them in the right way as well really show off about it and you know have a brag about about what you've done that's the type of stuff i'm really interested in Mm, yeah never be afraid to brag sometimes particularly going straight out of uni or, or a young person, uh, a bit nervous to uh, sort of big themselves up a little bit. But actually, you know, if you've got something you're really proud of, then um, then then just just show it off a little bit, you know. And uh, 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 Parol, who was on this uh, re- recently, she, she was saying that she encourages people, uh, candid- particularly junior candidates, to keep a brag document um, yes. where, you know, if there's something you're super proud of, just... Uh, jot it down in there and then when it comes to interviews you can really bring it out uh and it's a really great way of doing it yeah I listened to that episode and do you know I, I really couldn't agree more and I think I think as well something that I often say to people but it's really true of myself as well I think we have to hold ourselves accountable for our own career development um and it's as much about doing your job well as it is shouting about the fact that you do your job well and showcasing it um because there's so many anecdotal pieces of feedback or little successes that you do every day that maybe your manager might not be aware of. Um, so I think really useful to have that kind of document for, for that reason. Um, and when thinking about things like promotion and progression, um, but also really useful in terms of everyone has rubbish days at work where they think, um, you know, um, things really haven't gone the way that I've planned. Have I lost my mojo a little bit? And I think being able to have a brag document to go back through and, and look at actually what you've achieved can be really empowering, particularly when that imposter syndrome that we all get every now and again starts to hit. So I think, yeah, great advice from Farrell there. I'll, I'll echo that absolutely. And the simple version as well for software engineers uh, there is uh, just go back to your earliest three or four repos on GitHub and you'll <laughs> feel better about yourself. I do that from time to time. And uh yeah, it is. Uh, I was going to delete them because they are so bad. 
but actually like I, I'm quite proud of how far I've come uh, since then in those days where I didn't even know what stuff like Git was. So um, instead of like automatically pushing my, my code up from my machine, I would copy and paste the entire file and um, and plonk it onto GitHub um, manually. It was, uh, yeah, um, strange times in those first few weeks uh, when, when you're learning to code, but um, For sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think I'd always say to people as well, um, please include your GitHub. Um, I know, you know, I think you've talked about quite a lot on this podcast. Sometimes people are um, not very trusting of recruiters and we, we definitely have a bad rep. The good recruiters do look at stuff like that, I promise. Um, I'm really interested in the projects that you've done. I will absolutely share it if it's something that is super relevant to something that I know we're working on. Um, and really, if I see someone regularly working on projects or, or even more widely on their social media, engaging with communities, spending time trying to upskill, hugely encouraging sign for me. Um, so, yeah, please don't delete them. I think it's great to show you how you've progressed, as you say. A hundred percent. And also as well, um, something you mentioned, like you obviously do deliberately check out these projects. Um, it's great. And um, Christian, who was on this a few weeks ago, uh, said this, and I never even thought about it, but he's so right. He said, what's the point in working for months on an amazing deep personal project to impress recruiters? And you get really excited because you've learned how to do user authentication with a login system and stuff. Uh, he said, it's great. You put it up on GitHub, but then you didn't give anyone login details. So they can't actually look at what you've done. So if you're going to bring an auth system in, then at least give it to the recruiter, give the credentials to the recruiter. But even better, maybe don't put the auth system in and just just let um, let it be open so recruiters can check it out or um, you know other developers. And if you can contribute to open source as well, even if that's not core code contributions like translations or fixing typos, um, it's a it's a great way uh, to um, stand out as well. And I mean, if we're talking. Um, I really like what your mentor said about uh, the uh, the trailer and the movie. If we're moving from the trailer being the CV to the movie being the interview, uh, what what types of questions would you say junior candidates usually get asked in either a technical or a cultural interview, but for a technical position? Uh, and how can they usually navigate those? Yeah, so I really like this question. I'm really glad that you... Um chose to include this I think it's really important for companies to be transparent about what their interview process looks like and also to give a fair insight on how they expect people to prepare so I'm going to talk quite openly about Kodak's process both in terms of what the stages are um, but I also sat down earlier this week actually I just had a coffee with our head of engineering Jason because I really wanted to ask him what he would say really what advice would he impart um, as someone who's been with Kodak really since the beginning and has helped to grow and involve our um, our engineering team. Um, number one thing I would say is Kodak absolutely hires for attitude. Um, would always caveat that with the fact that there's going to be some, some basic requirements that we would need for you to be able to do the job. But we absolutely prioritize someone who's got a real hunger and drive, a real interest in what it is that we're doing, and is going to really add value to us culturally as well. Um, in terms of interview process, quite generally, we actually ask the same questions of juniors and seniors. Um, but for me, there's a key difference. Seniors should know the answers. Um, juniors should be confident in not knowing some of them. Um, but if a junior can ask us the right questions and be proactive enough to use people like lead engineers in the interview sessions and people around them when they're on the job, to find the answer, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. And I think we need to, you know, stop this perception or, or this expectation of ourselves that we're going to go into an interview and get 100% of, of things right. Um, otherwise, we're not going to get the job. We really don't mind if you don't get everything right. What we're interested in is when we give you feedback in the interview, are you applying it? Um, so candidates that I've, I've seen in the past that have been really successful. We operate on a two-stage process, which I'll, I'll get into in a minute. But on the phone interview, if we've identified a gap in, in knowledge, one of our lead engineers has, um, has said to, to that candidate, hey, why don't you spend some time looking at this article or this link? And then you can really show it off in the second stage of the interview. And they've come back and they've actually spent the time learning that. And what that tells us about that person is that actually the gaps in the knowledge don't matter because they're proactive enough that they're going to use the resources around them. They're going to use the 
vast range of expertise that we have in the team already and ultimately they're going to ramp up really really quickly and we'd much rather that than someone who's learned all of that stuff already and has kind of plateaued a little bit um and i suppose just to cover a bit about our interview process then for our engineering team it's two stages so the first stage would be a half an hour phone interview and we connect you directly either to uh, one of our lead engineers who manages one of our scrum teams or an engineering manager who looks after one of our product groups. Um, that just depends really on um, availability, but also the, the type of role um, and the nuances of that particular position. And then if that all goes well, our final interview is actually just two hours. The first half is a paired programming exercise. Um, so that's purely in C-sharp. It's basically a web application that you'd be working through to create an API, and it's a problem-solving exercise. So what we'd look for there is someone really stopping to think about the problem, asking questions, really listening and applying that feedback, and having confidence in, in not knowing the answers. So if you don't know, tell us and we can help you. We encourage you to use Google, as any good engineer does. You're, you're absolutely fine to use that in the process. Um, and then for part B, it's a technical chat. Um, I'm sure what everyone would be interested in knowing is, is what type of topics we want to test your knowledge on. So to give you an insight, how cloud computing works and why issues like scalability, um, REST APIs, solving problems with architecture. And ultimately, I think number one thing um, for any sort of financial services or fintech business is going to be about what effect do our technical decisions have on our client? So really thinking about what changes that we make technically are going to have an impact on the user and how. Um, and I would say adopting that mindset throughout is, is going to be really important. And also, just last thing, actually, obviously the fundamentals of the languages that we code in. Um, so C Sharp um, and TypeScript, React with TypeScript for, for front end, and even someone coming in as a junior um, should know C-sharp inside out, really. Um, but hopefully that's helpful. Hopefully that's a helpful insight. Yeah, that, that sounds really cool. And for anyone that uh, is really interested in maybe sort of um, going through uni and maybe learn Java, if you're not familiar, C-sharp is very similar to Java. So you can definitely uh, you can definitely brush up uh, on C-sharp uh, before uh, uh, before leaving university um, mm -hmm. because C-sharp is actually a really big language for the fintech industry, isn't it, from what I understand? It is. Yeah, it absolutely is. And what I would say as well, just on your point about Java, there are actually certain roles that we hire for where we're still looking for that C sharp, but we're also looking for um, expertise or an interest in other languages like, um, yeah, like Java being one of them, like Go off the top of my head. Um, the reason being um, that we have created a product group where really the key skill set is going to be thinking about being sympathetic with users of Coda. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's not just C sharp .net core. That's definitely our core skill set. Um, but if you have, um, a little bit of C sharp and you do have other languages, I'd still definitely be interested in, in hearing from you. And, um, not all of our roles are hundred percent feature development focused. We're interested in, in quite a range of skill sets, I'd say. Brilliant. Uh, that, that sounds really cool. And uh, for anyone who is interested in once they're applying, and I, I suppose this is more of a general question as well, but um, you know, you, you, you're no doubt spinning a lot of plates um, when you're dealing with different roles and different candidates uh, for those roles. Um, how, how, can, how can candidates make your life easier and give, you, uh, give themselves the inside track by helping you out? I would say um, number one thing is before you start your job search, have a really good think about what's important to you in your next role and then communicate that to me as clearly as possible. So what I mean is quite often I will say to people, cool, so you're open to work, you've applied to a role, what are you looking for for your next role? And they'll just say to me, oh, I want to use, I'm a .NET developer, I want to use .NET Core. And that's it. And that's fine, but there's so many of that type of opportunity out there. Um, so what I'm interested in is a not just what you're using right now but also what you want to learn um b things like work style um location flexible working opportunities company values um ask me about what the company goals are ask me about what's coming next in the in the product roadmap and i think 
the better insight you have on stuff like that is is great really and then once you have your list of must-haves please ask me the difficult questions this is how you separate good recruiters from rubbish ones in my opinion um you know don't be afraid to really hold me and all of the hiring managers you meet in the process accountable for getting the answers that you need um so your recruiter and and i will always tell my candidates small details like who does this role report into what are the team's kpis how will success be managed in the role is this a backfill position is this a new position does the company allow hybrid working um how much time do existing team members spend in the office all of those questions if you're not getting them from me really think about them and please please ask um because i think really there's so many opportunities out there in the market right now and you make my life hugely hugely easier if you know um, what the features are that you're looking for. And then I can match you up to to what the best place is going to be for you within the business. Or sometimes we come to the realisation together that actually you're not going to be a good fit for Coda and we're not what you're looking for. And that's fine as well. Um, that's absolutely fine as well. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And it's okay if someone's not a good, if you decide you're not a good fit for a company. And definitely let the recruiter know that if you decide it's not one for you. Because uh, you know you never know if uh, maybe someone you're working with. I mean, whether they're external or internal, um, that you'll maybe work with them again. And it's much better just to just to keep them uh, uh, not not leave them in the dark about whether if you decide something's not for you. And uh, I think always remembering it's a two way interview process is always great as well. Mm-hmm. Just remember you're interviewing the company as much as the company's interviewing you. And um, although obviously everyone hopes that it's a great fit but if it's not it's better to I agree that it's definitely better to communicate that early rather than leave a recruiter in the lurch yeah without a shadow of a doubt and I suppose the other thing as well was would I would would be that I would say sorry utilize all of the resources that we give you I have so much stuff that we've created in-house that is I mean I'm very biased here but I think it's brilliant and I would have loved to to have tools like that to to share in maybe previous roles I've been in as a recruiter. So I'll give you an example. We have an insiders program that allows you to just book a chat with someone in the business who isn't involved in the hiring process for your role. And you can do that whenever you like. We would normally recommend you do that after first interview stage and before final. No one else knows about that chat other than you and the Kodak insider. And there's no questions off the table. And I would say this really shocks me when I look at the stats for this probably under a third of our applicants actually utilize that and it's a it's a brilliant resource you know do it on your lunch break have a coffee let the person know that you're going to be bringing your lunch with you we really don't care you know we we just want you to connect with someone at Kodak so we can tell you about how great it is to work here um and I think that's really unique i'm aware that some other companies are doing that but i don't see it that often to be really honest that is the first time i've heard of it happening because i've done that myself but off my own steam where i've just messaged someone on linkedin uh, in my lot in my most recent job search i had four finals and i just messaged uh, someone from each company around it because yeah. i've got a massive linkedin network from my recruiter days mainly i just sure. I had someone <laughs> at, each, at each company so i just messaged each of them but the fact that you promote that is is really awesome i've never uh, honestly i've never actually heard of a company doing that before so um yeah i, I i'm amazed that less than a third of people uh take you up on it but that is a, that's a really cool idea and if, if someone's offered that they should definitely take it yeah and how it actually it's funny you should say that how it actually came about as far as I'm aware because I think we introduced it off the top of my head about five six months ago was we had um so many people doing exactly what what you say you've just done Cam and um messaging people in the team and saying can I just have 15 minutes of your time or even can I come into the office and let's chat about it I can meet some of the team and it got to the stage where we were thinking why is this not a thing like this absolutely needs to be a formalized thing that's part of our process. And, you know, maybe we need to spend a little bit more time promoting that as well, which is something that we're working to doing. But the feedback's been phenomenal. And um, and in a way, often the people who are utilizing that resource are the people that get the job. Not always. Imagine. Yeah. Um, but just because, you know, they're really going the extra mile to, to suss out whether or not we're the right fit for them. Um, so I would definitely encourage doing that. And I think as well, even if you don't then end up getting the role, connect with that person on LinkedIn and follow their journey. It's literally a free way to make a contact with someone at a company as well. Um, so I'm always surprised that people don't use that more. But definitely, I send people demos. I send them nice little summary document, case studies, things like that. 
definitely use them um, even if the result of that is you read through and think hey this actually isn't the type of work that I want to do um, but super super easy way to impress hiring managers at a first stage interview I'd say yeah that uh, that sounds really cool and for people that are maybe not from the UK and uh, maybe considering moving to a new place. Um, where do you see the UK tax scene uh, going over the next few years? And what, why do you think people should uh, consider uh, moving to the UK or remaining in the UK um, if they're a uh, software engineer? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting question. Um, I think looking at this through the lens and the industry that I'm in, for me, it's going to be AI and machine learning. Um, so, I am thinking things like predictive behavioral analytics, learning the habits of users over time, ultimately helping them to make better financial decisions. Um, I think also getting really clever with um, fintech companies addressing things like fraud, um, like thinking about how can we look at payment history, establish a norm, flag transactions that sit outside of that. Um, obviously, how can we automate all of that? And I'll be really honest, neither of those are areas I actually know too much about right now. Um, it's just something that I've, yeah, I've picked up, um, something that I'm quite excited about personally and have spent some time reading about, really. Yeah, that, uh, that sounds really cool, I think. Uh, yeah, in general, I mean, particularly in the UK, because so much of our tech is tied up in financial services and machine mm -hmm. learning um, it is such a, um, it, it is so applicable to it. Uh, it's definitely something worth considering and, and learning a bit about. Uh, my main two things for people would be um, Web3 and, and, and machine learning, like I, I either try and get into one of, one of the two uh, and both apply very nicely to fintech. So uh, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a good thing to get into. And um, I mean, I, I only see it growing, especially fintech in the UK. Um, I only see it growing in the near future. So um, it's definitely if you want to get into fintech, I would actually argue that London is the capital of the fintech world. I, I, I think it probably beats out actually Silicon Valley, uh, Silicon Valley even um, when it comes to financial technology. Yeah, and I think it's something crazy like, um, I don't want to misquote this stat here, but something <laughs> like um, two thirds of the UK's fintech businesses are based in London. Um, and I mean, obviously you're, you're talking about a global focus, but I think if you just like that's mental really that is absolutely crazy and whilst there's definitely clusters and, and hotbeds of of um talent in places like manchester and leeds and, and like edinburgh like we've spoken about um i i have a big soft spot for london i always will um, yeah well what, what's the famous quote uh, anyone who's tired of london is tired of life right so uh, yeah it's a, it's a good place to live like uh, definitely listeners don't get don't get um put off by the fact i left uh, <laughs> um, I just wanted some more bad weather in my life, um, so <laughs> I moved up to Scotland. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, cool. So um, that that was a really insightful uh, chat and really awesome to hear more about what you're working on. Um, in terms of at the moment, what what vacancies do you have available? Is there anything particularly you want to shout out on the podcast? Candidates you want to hear from? Yeah, there is. I, I'd love to as well. Just just briefly share a little bit about why our engineers join us specifically because there's so much good stuff to share in my opinion um but just to give you an insight as as, as a business we're absolutely in growth mode still we're scaling out across the us australia this time last year we were about 90 to 100 people we're now at over 200 our engineering team alone is going to grow by 70 this year and we're well on our way to achieving that um, and we've got a range of roles. We've got software engineer roles um, at all levels, back end, full stack, QAs. We've got some more specialized roles like SREs. Um, Skill set is .NET Core, C Sharp and Azure, React with TypeScript for front end. Um, also, if we have talent people listening who'd like to make a move, we do have some roles in the talent team as well, including for a tech specialist to join my team and to work with me. Um, I think even if you're not ready to move right now, feel free to connect with me and start to build that relationship. Even if just something that I've said today has really piqued your interest and you want to follow Kodak's journey, um, you know, definitely pop me a, a request. And I suppose just reasons that um, I, I feel that engineers like to join us. The first thing and hopefully something I've really got across is it's really useful work and everyone wants to feel like they're making their mark on the world. And we spend a lot of time at work and I think it's really rewarding to do something genuinely useful 
and handling the heavy lifting of integrations is really, really empowering for SMBs. So what you're doing is you're helping companies better service their clients, better service their SMB clients, which is genuinely useful tech. Um, Our three co-founders are are prone to saying, you know, maybe working with integrations isn't the sexiest work in the world, but it's definitely some of the most useful. And I think that's really so, so, so true. And I'd really encourage anyone who wants to feel that they're really adding value and and making their mark on the world to to consider something like that. Um, And then I, I suppose the other thing would be, I think the way we work is quite unique. So it's not just the, the modern tech stack that we use, but it's how we work. So Scrum Band work style, combining the best of Scrum and, and Kanban. We release super rapidly, so at least once a day. We've really worked to increase that deployment frequency and, um, and add value there. Um, and our sprint cycles are one week. I know there's a lot of people that I speak to um, who are used to working at a pace of, of more of a two-week sprint. Ours is one week. Um, and in terms of best practice as well, if, if you're the type of person who really wants to develop a product mindset right from joining a company at junior level and wants to uh, really get involved right from requirements gathering right through to observability and monitoring, you'll get that here. Um, and actually, we're really passionate and insistent that our engineers take on that responsibility. And I think that creates a really, really nice um a really, really nice engineering culture and an idea of best practice that um, we're giving that people that responsibility from from day one, really. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think the last thing would just be um, that we're, you know, we're still in growth mode. We're far enough along in our journey that there's really good structure in place for you, really clear progression frameworks, uh, really nice structure in terms of product groups, smaller squads within them. Um, you know, we can we can map your your progression. We can map your journey really nicely. But there's still so much growth to be done. There's so much to do, um, and yeah, so many opportunities for people to come on board and to to make their mark. Really, that sounds uh, sounds fantastic and uh, a great sale as well um, <laughs> on the uh, on the opportunities available. And that, that that sounds really cool. And obviously, all of the uh, links to contact both yourself and Kodak will be. Uh, in the description if people want to uh, find out more. So uh, yeah, I just want to say a massive thank you for uh, for joining me today. I think some of your insights have been absolutely uh, fantastic and I'm sure people get a lot of value from hearing about your experience and, and fintech industry in general. And I'm sure if people aren't interested in, in uh, getting into fintech now, then um, I don't know what to tell them because that, that, <laughs> that all sounds really cool. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for, for having me. Um, and yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll hear from some people that are listening today. Brilliant. Sounds great. And thank you as well, listener, for checking out another episode of The Code of Career. Uh, As you know, we are here every Monday uh, to start your week off, hopefully pretty well. Um, Thank you again for listening and have a great week. And of course, happy coding.